You're listening to the We Talk Seahawks podcast, a podcast brought to you by Seahawks UK. Stay tuned to our weekly episodes for pre-game and post-game shows, as well as fun and engaging discussions, and hopefully some special guest interviews along the way. Thank you for listening, stay tuned, and go Hawks! Come on, James. The floor is yours. Right. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you've ruined it. Oh, Pez, man. Right. Put yourself on mute for a minute, will you? Nice one. Ladies and gentlemen, Seahawks and football fans everywhere, a very warm welcome back to the We Talk Seahawks podcast and a very warm welcome to our brand new show. Um, we're having a few teething problems on here, so bear with us over the next few weeks while we get this thing up and running. Um but we're doing this on Spotify Green Room. It is Get It Off Your Chest, um, where it's going to kind of act as sort of like a little bit of a radio show type phone in sort of esque style thing. Um, and basically, if you download Spotify Green Room on, on Android or iOS, um, you're more than welcome to come into our chat room. We'll try and make this a weekly thing. Um, and it's basically just a platform for you guys to come on and have a chat with us and express your opinions and as the title says to get it off your chest basically um, so it's pretty much just going to become well with the Seahawks anyway it's probably just going to become a ranting hour for all of you guys um, but yeah we just want to see what our listeners think um, sort of get your opinions and have the have the chance for you to come on and have your say on the podcast really and get you more involved in everything um, but one thing that never changes is my co-host and that is Pez. Pez, how are you doing mate? I'm good mate, I'm good. We eventually got it sorted. We eventually got it sorted. You you can't have seen, thanks to the uh, wonders of editing, um, however we have been trying to get this thing up and running for about 25 to 30 minutes, probably even longer than that now, uh, before the time that we've actually been able to get in and recording. Um, thanks to awful Virgin Media Wi-Fi and a host of other things, uh, but we're now we're here now, um, and thankfully we've not been ghosted on our first episode as well. So we have got a few speakers lined up um, to come on and get their views and and get some certain certain things off their chests as well in relation to the Seahawks. Um, so we've got Michaela Mattis joining us tonight from the Pacific Northwest Showdown. Michaela, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again today. No, no problem at all. I just want to say, by the way, I saw your tweet, and obviously I've, I've I've listened to your podcast already. Marcus Trufant for the first one—that is some bag that you've secured there. How on earth did you pull that off? Um, I tweeted at him, and he messaged me to let's get it scheduled. So I'm just really grateful, Marcus Trufant. In the past, um, you know, I've tweeted at him because I'm a. I went to WSU, which is Washington State University, and he's an alum from there as well. So that's where he played at, uh, for college. And mm. so I've tweeted at him in the past regarding Cougar stuff. So he may, you know, have recognized me having messaged him or, or reached out to him in the past. So just really grateful for his kindness um, and his insight. He does a lot of great work in our community that, you know, working with students and education and that's where I've worked too in that, in that regard. So just some connections in that way, but yeah, just super nice guy reached out to me and scheduled me in. Awesome. I right, say so you, you've put us to shame because we've, we've been trying to get some special guests of, of that type of caliber on for a little while now. So for your first episode, that is some going. So fair play to you, Michaela. That is, uh, that is some fair going. Um, but Pez, I think I'll let you introduce our, our 
next speaker because uh, he's got a certain relation to you, hasn't he? Yeah, um, our other speaker is my brother. I've mentioned him a couple of times on the podcast now. Um, he's going to bring some blind rage, I reckon, after the t- Titans game. But how are you doing, Luca? Uh, howdy, guys. Yeah. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't think I'll bring that much rage. I think I got it out in a conversation with yourself. I'm going to try and tame it down. I mean, to be fair, you brought it up again, and I'm a bit annoyed. Again, all over, <laughs> all over again. I, it's so I, just embarrassed, man. It was just embarrassing. Well, I don't know what else I can say. This is what this uh, live podcast is all about. You can have a good rant. Yeah, that's what we've yeah, uh, that's we'll what we set it up for. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll be joined by a few more of you as the uh, as the as the episode goes on. Um, but obviously, you know, this is the first episode, so um, you know, we'll uh, it's a work in progress. It's we're just testing the waters, um, seeing if it's going to work, uh, and if, if obviously if you guys enjoy it and enjoy listening to it. Um, I would hope that we'll have some good rants on here, knowing knowing the uh, knowing the Seahawks um, over the next few weeks and and during the regular season. So hopefully it should be uh, should be comedy gold and uh, you know some some good rants at times. So um, yeah, let's get started then. Um, Michaela, what is the one thing or one of the things that you want to get off your chest um, after two weeks of the Seahawks regular season? Uh, well, obviously I had a lot to say about this last weekend. Um, But honestly, it would just be like what happened to our defense the second half of the game. And I feel a little bit better after, I mean, not better, but in talking with Marcus about the defense, I felt like he broke some things down for me a little bit better to to help me understand. Um, But I still struggle with Trey Flowers being like, just put somebody else out there. Let's see what somebody else can do. I'm tired of seeing him get run by and that he can't cover downfield. Like if he has to cover for longer than, you know, five, six yards um, from the line of scrimmage, I feel like, like he's done for. So I'm just, just Sydney Jones, somebody else, somebody else. It's it's funny uh, because obviously we got you on the podcast, didn't we? Um, and you brought up Trey Flowers, and it—it's what you said about he has nothing about like he. Well, what was it you said about him? Is it was it his uh, demeanor or something? What what was it? Yeah, yeah, and I think did he get beat off Julio Jones and it panned in on his face and he's just motionless. It's like no frustration. No embarrassment. It was just like, oh, right, well, I expect to get beat off Julio Jones. So, yeah, I'll take that. And it's just like, well, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Just get off the field. Oh. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I was um, like, where's the aggressiveness from our defense? And I, I more so from our cornerbacks. Now, DJ Reed had obviously a great play in Sunday's game, which he got called for taunting on which I think is oh. absurd. I That's a good rant right there. The taunting <laughs> penalty, it's stupid. Just, it's the stupidest penalty. I don't care whose team you're on. Like, this is a very fast-paced game with grown men 
and it's an aggressive game, you make a good play, you're going to be fired up and pumped up, like uh, pumped about about it. He like barely, like he barely flexed in a general direction towards that guy. It those penalties hurt. We had so many penalties this yeah. last week. Yeah, it's like, I totally agree. And um, I said to James um, after it, I was like, I don't understand the DJ Reed thing. Like the DK one, that's what I interpret as essentially he got done for taunting because he's essentially trying to get in that Fulton's face, what then could have caused like aggravation and a fight. So that's how I perceived what the taunting thing was all about. Whereas the DJ Reed thing, like, he was up against AJ Brown, wasn't he? And then he brought the pass up and he was buzzing. And you've got to look, height, size, weight, you're going to be fired up about that. Like, and then to call him on it, it's absolute bollocks. Absolute. But I think, I think this is what we're going to see in the league throughout. Like, the NFL, like, changed the rules. And then it's almost like, oh, are you trying to spoil the the flow of the game or ruin the game or take all the excitement out of it? And I don't, I don't think it was just our game. I'm pretty sure there was a number of other games where the taunting rule was used um, rather flippantly, if I'm honest. And it's almost like the NFL said to the officiating teams, like, right, it, it doesn't matter how like minor it is, just go hard on it. And it's it's just... I agree with you. I agree with you, Michael. It's like it's just for me. It's ruining it. You know, these are these are grown men. You know, blood's pumping, testosterone's going. We're getting excited. You know, they're going to do things like this. You know, and if we look at it, how many realistically, how many big fights or riots or anything have broken out in a in a game just because someone's flexed? Yeah, people might go head to head, but that's it. Occasionally, there might be a fight. So it's not like it's ruining anything. I don't. I just don't understand it. It's like it's the same with the catch rule. Like, why can't a catch just be a catch? If a player just catch, if the ball is in his hands, it's a catch. Like, why does it have to be bobbled? Or why do they have to take two steps? Like, it, just little things like that. Just really. Yeah, I think. I think for me, it's one of those things that's. It, I just don't get it with the NFL. Um, I, like you say, certain things like going head to head and you know fisticuffs and you know punching ups and like I get why the NFL doesn't want that as part of their image as part of their league. I totally get that, but for them to be given off the message that we don't want players to be excited when they have made a play in the sport that they've been dedicating themselves to for x many years of their lives and for the majority of them, the the, the whole the entirety of their lives. For someone like DJ Reed to make a big play in a big situation on a big time player in AJ Brown, and it, like I say, it wasn't—he was, he barely even looked at him. It was just a—it a, was just emotion, like, and that's what the fans want to see. We don't want. To, could you imagine if, like you say, if we saw? Well, we do see it with Trey Flowers, like you say, Pez. But a, a guy makes a, a play, and he's just shrugs it off as if it's not if, if DJ Reed DJ Reed makes that play and just sort of stands there and you know sort of on to the next one type thing like even Bobby Wagner who's the you know the persona of cool leader like when he makes a sack he, he, he's the hypest guy on the field so what but you don't punish that 
it's it 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 makes no sense why the NFL wouldn't want men and players and athletes getting excited and pumped up with their teammates and their players and the coaching staff and the fans when they've made a big play. It it just it it doesn't make sense as to why the NFL wouldn't want that in as part of their image for me, in my opinion. They literally make money off of guys hitting each other on the exactly. field. Like in terms of it being a part of their image, it's literally what they make all of their money off of those big hits. And I get the importance of, you know, player safety. So when you're implementing, you know, targeting rules and things like that, I understand that that's for player safety, but in terms of like, you know, Joy Taylor um, said yesterday on, on the herd, which um, on the uh, Colin Coward show yesterday, she said, you know, eliminate the taunting rule and make it a really big penalty if you get in a fight. Like, just make it so insane of a consequence for getting in a fight that players have that in the back of their mind and they're not going to get in a fight. Like, if, th- if that's truly what it's about, the whole taunting penalty, then just make it such a big um, deal, like a two-game suspension or, you know, just something completely out there. So, because you're right, I, like, how often is a brawl, tr- like, actually happening? Now, when you have, you know, your division rivals, it might be more heated, that kind of thing, but... In terms of like the whole player celebration thing, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct or excessive celebrations, you know, I think they let up a little bit on that with the touchdown celebrations, but that's what I feel like the ta- this taunting rule is. I understand taunting if you get up in someone's face and you're ta- like your helmets are touching, sure, maybe that's taunting, but in terms of flexing over like over a guy or I don't know, I. I just don't agree with it. I think it's dumb. I, I think you're right. I, I think, I mean, thinking about it now, I actually can't remember a time. Hmm, the people, I can't remember if people get ejected for fighting, but that's what should happen. If you get in, if there's a mass brawl or whatever, then those players should be ejected. And and with the taunting thing, going back to that, like, you know, if, if a player taunts, over another player like it used to be, then then yeah, throw the flag because it's it's just you're inciting a, an argument, you're you're getting getting everyone riled up. But if they make that break up or make that tackle and then they turn away from the player and maybe turn to the fans or something and start flexing or start doing a celebration, then what what does that matter? Do you know what I mean? I, I mean I, I, I give it a year, everyone gets pissed off and and I think they'll be changing the definition of this taunt in real life. Yeah, the, um, but that's the thing, though, isn't it? It's like we're going to have to put up with it for this year, and it's going to cost when it gets down to the stretch in like them last couple of games, um, playoff implications, the playoffs, and things like that. It'd be interesting to see if there are strictures around then, because so, like that DJ Reed, like at the end of the day, he stopped a touchdown, he stopped seven points going on a board. And it's massive, really, against the Titans. Whether they're in, people think they're inferior or not, they've got weapons everywhere, as we found out. We all found out in that second half. Like, they've got weapons everywhere and they can destroy you. So him stopping seven points going on the board is massive. 
and deserves a celebration. Now, if the receiver's a little bitch and can't be a man and just take that he got owned, then that's his problem. It's not the guy who's just made a great play to stop him. Like, like, like I said before, but then where DK's in someone's face and he's trying to set an aggressive tone, then yeah, that is taunting because that's what they want to try and cut out. They want to try and cut out right, like brawls and big team brawls and like what they class as the ugly side of it. So I understand that and I could get on board with that, but not when, not when a defender is making a touchdown save and play. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. That makes no sense. I think when it becomes a um, a talking point throughout the season, not just for our team, but for for every fan base across the league, I, I, I think the NFL will look at it. And, and I agree with, with what you're saying, Pietro. Like, you know, I think there's been two examples of how it should be used, you know, in terms of throwing the flag for a penalty. Like, DK getting up in his face. I mean, DK, oh, God. Haven't, we haven't seen as much from DK over these first two games. But from what we've seen so far, it's just ridiculous. Like, he's, he's spent more time being a child than he has actually doing anything else, doing what he's frigging good at. And it's that, 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 kick, that kicking off he had, in, I think it was the first half, just pissed me right off. Like, I just thought, like... And, and, oh, and then the whole thing about his hair... He, he dyed his hair blue to keep ice cool. Well, it's not. No, it's not in the minute, mate. Um, I, I talked to a little bit with you, Pez, about DK, and I guess it's something that I sort of want to get off my chest a little bit. Like, I'm absolutely, I've never been so disappointed in DK, and it's not because of his ability or his or anything like that, because we all know how good DK Metcalf is. But I made this comparison to you, Pez, and I'll put it to the rest of the room and I'll put it to, to all the listeners. I have a feeling that DK Metcalf will go one of two ways or in terms of player careers that he could possibly emulate um, because he's, he's a Hall of Fame wide receiver type guy. He's got all world ability at the receiver position, but so did these two players. And I think he's got, he'll either go with one of these players or he'll go down the route the other one did. I think he'll either turn into a Steve Smith for the Carolina Panthers in the sense that he was he was cocky, he was swaggy, he had attitude, he, he could talk shit to opponents, but he backed it up and he didn't let anyone else get in his head and he was he, he was never really thrown off his game, he you know, and he's a Hall of Fame receiver. But then so was Terrell Owens and of course Terrell Owens, fantastic receiver, one of the best receivers the NFL's seen. Um but also very well known and very well publicised that, you know, didn't always get along with his teammates, was possibly a, a locker room problem in a, in, a, in a few different franchises, was traded away here and there. Obviously, Steve Smith, you know, Carolina Panthers, one club type man, um, whereas obviously Terrell Owens, you know, moving around teams because he obviously didn't fit with the quarterback, didn't agree with certain things and had fallen outs with players and everything. And I just think that if DK continues to hurt the team with his stupid pathetic penalties and him him personally failing to control his anger and his temper at times if he continues to hurt his team and hurt his teammates around him and nobody can get a hold of him and stop him from doing that and yeah and, and of course he is still young and we've got to factor that in as well but 
at the end of the day, he's in the NFL now. This is his third season. He's not a rookie anymore. He's not going to get away with teammates viewing him as just or just the rookie. He, he's still learning how to act. He's still learning how to be a man type thing. He's getting, you know, he's getting to the point now where like I see people like Tyler Lockett and I see coaching staff, and I just think that if he carries on, players and teammates in the locker room will start to get fed up with it and possibly a divide potentially happening down the line. I don't want that to happen, but we saw it with Terrell Owens, but then we see a, a kind of player that you should be looking to emulate in, in someone like Steve Smith. Um, I don't know what anyone else has to think about that, but that's just my current opinion on, on the whole DK situation. You know, in his rookie season, he was a, I felt like he was a lot more humble in that role as a rookie. And now he's in year three and he knows he's good and he's a big dude. Um, and I, I do think he's getting a little cocky. I think that he needs to humble himself um, on the field because off the field, he still seems, he seems it's, it's interesting. He's kind of like, I don't want to say he's soft spoken, but if you watch his, you know, his interviews and stuff, like, he kind of seems not as uh, not as cocky as he comes off on the field. So I think he needs to cool cool it. He needs to, you know, you're not making you're making you can catch the ball. You're making plays, but you're not making Tyler Lockett plays at this point. And Tyler Lockett has been humble his entire career, like. There's a reason he's probably quote underrated because Tyler Lockett isn't out here trying to make this huge name for himself. He's just going to work. He's just, he's just a great player and he's humble and he's just going to work and he's not trying to elevate his name or how great he is or any of that. And I think that's part of what makes him so great. Yeah. Um, DK's he he's he's a weird one, isn't he? Because he he started on Fulton, and Pete made a comment in post uh, presser saying that DK just basically tried setting the tone um, with his group whack, his up tempo aggression, things like that. But it's it's like me and James spoke about it up there, and it's like don't start something that you can't then maintain because that, the thing is he started on Fulton and then a few other defenders started chipping at him. And like I've said in previous podcasts, he will get himself ejected. Like he, he's eventually going to get himself ejected. And the game I'm going to watch for is when Jalen Ramsey starts chipping away at him. Because if he's like this now in the Rams game, Jalen Ramsey will have him ejected before halfway of the first quarter, he will literally just eat him up and spit him out because he's the worst guy for like getting into receivers' heads and trash talking and things like that. But it's just mad how he started he started the shit talking with the D, with the D and then let them get into his head to the point where he, he wasn't making catches, he wasn't like doing what we know he can do. It's just bizarre, very bizarre first two weeks for him. I don't know what's up with him. Well, well, that's the point, isn't it? It's like the, the Titans game in just week two has set the tone, hasn't it, for him. 
like other other defenders and other players are going to be watching him now and being like looking at that game and being like oh okay right we're, we're now working out how to get to this guy because like at the end of the day what is it year three for him now I think like with his size and his speed he, he has been able to, to have a domineering um appearance on the on the field and but you know, and, and I guess people have been like, well, what, what's his what's his weakness? Where's the chink in his armour? And week two alone, I think we'll be showing the defenders now, you know, especially cornerbacks, how how do we this is how we get to this guy now. This is how we neutralize him and take him out of the game. And like like I agree with all of you, if if he doesn't sort it, this could be sort of the start of his undoing, especially if he doesn't start putting out the numbers or at least matching what he's done in the his, his first two years. Like um. Yeah, um, moving on to a, another point, what I want to get off my chest, it's more recent, is I want to see what you guys think to this, but is what Pete Carroll said in his, was it his post game or the, um, on his radio show, he, he said, I wish Russ could have helped us out there we needed to just move the ball, uh, change the field position, uh, um, at least in overtime, right? So he's referring to Russ going, trying to go for a deep ball instead of going for his check down because we only need a field goal. Now, the biggest criticism of Russ is it's almost like he reverts to type. Um, it's like, in boxing for reference-wise, it's like, a boxer can change their style and they can change the way they do things in training, but once they get punched in the face, they'll always revert to what they're comfortable with doing. Now, Russ is literally, he, he reverts to type and goes to the deep ball instead of the check down. But my pushback to that would be, because Russ got a lot of, like, a lot of people on social media and that said, yeah, Russ, he, he needs to pack it in with them deep balls and rah, rah, rah. But my pushback would be, why are you relying on Russ in overtime when you've been vanilla the whole second half? Right? Don't run a vanilla offense. Was That's a rant in itself. Like, it, it baffled the fuck out of me. You watch that Colts game, you watch the second quarter, and then you watch, essentially, Shotty's just come back and run offense for the second half. But then don't turn around and go, oh, well, we, we needed Russ to help us out in that overtime. He should have never got to that point with 15 points. Up. He shouldn't have been trying to fucking burn clock from half time because you got overexcited because you had 15 points to play with. Like, it was just, it was sickening, in my opinion, like that, that offence. I don't know what the fuck happened, but people are blaming Waldron. Now, that second half reminded me of last year's Offense. Now, for me, Waldron's new. He wasn't here. So why would he run them kind of plays? It kind of reverts for me back to the one person who's there who has an influence in the offense is Pete Carroll. Did he get himself too involved again? Did he get a bit overexcited? I don't know. What's your guys for? Um. Yeah, I don't know that I agree that the offense was very vanilla the second half. I feel like when we're up 
like that, like 24 to nine and a half. I feel like we let up in the offense and I don't understand why. Like, I don't understand why they don't continue to be as aggressive when I don't care if the game ends up being 52 to nine. Like, I just want to see that, like the offense needs to continue to be aggressive because our defense, when they're out there playing as many snaps as they are, when you have, I think a huge part of the issue with the game too, is that the defense was on the field so much. And a big part of that is the fact that when you have those deep balls or you have a short field because there's a defensive turnover, your offense isn't on the field that long. And I said this in my podcast this week that there were no, like there weren't sustained drives where, you know, first, second down, first down, first, second down, third down, first down. Like we weren't taking the time to get down the field, to give our defense a rest. And is it, did I read somewhere that the defense were on the field for like 90 plays, which 40, 47 minutes um, in total against Derek Henry. So that's a problem. And our, so our offense needs to figure out how they can sustain drives, which means going underneath, especially when they take away the deep ball, you can't force it. Utilize what Pete Carroll loves to do your run game after you do like, let's say it's a, you know, first and 10, we have a tight end room because like we have Gerald Everett, we got Will Disley, find them underneath, let them get four five, six yard gain on first down. You know, it's going to open up your playbook anyways, because if you start going underneath, then maybe you can get Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf over top again. And I find it very hard to believe that D Eskridge is such a huge part of this offense already that just because he wasn't in there, that you couldn't run a similar style offense of what you had the first game. Yeah. I find that. Yeah. um, You made a very good point there with the tight ends because um, I said it to Luca. I said, it's interesting that the tight ends are used so much against the Colts. How I look at it, the two week compare like the two week sample size we've got is like people push back at me at this, but I think we're just seeing that nothing's gonna change and Pete's always gonna meddle with the offense. Is last week against the Colts we used loads of Titans. Against the Titans, we hardly used any Titans. Now I take everything Pete says with a pinch of salt. So Pete could turn around and go, oh, it's because of X, Y, and Z. He could be right. But after last year, the amount of lies, the amount of lies he, he said impresses, blatantly out impresses, like saying just things and then just being complete, like being found out to lying about them. It's like clearly Pete had a, hand in that second half offense it really did like for me because there was no tight end usage and it, it, I was scratching my head I was like Everett was such a weapon against the Colts you can't tell me you can't get him into the game plan it, <laughs> two different know. things were going on there two different things were going on between game one and game two it, it, it was two different teams I couldn't like what I couldn't get my head around in the Titans game was how different this team looked. 
it was like it was unbelievable. Maybe the first half of the Titans game was reminiscent of what the Colts game was like last week. Fast, quick offense. And and I, I do feel like going up early got that's what changed the, the game. Because I said to you, didn't that Pete? Like we we did that fast two minute, two minute offense. That was it. Two minute offense, went down the field, scored, boom. And we I was buzzing. Like I was like, man alive, if we carry this on, we're gonna absolutely destroy him, which what which is what should have happened. But I said to you, didn't I? I said, I get, get, this has come at the wrong time. That's like a momentum builder. But yet you, now you've gone into the half, like a, what, a 15-minute like break where the Titans can go in, regroup, and I guarantee we won't do anything or we'll make changes, but it will be changes to defend the lead, the lead we've got, not build on it, not go out aggressive, be conservative. Now, we can sit here and say, yeah, Pete Carroll's had a hand in it, but we're not there. But it, in all honesty, based on the first game and then what happened in that second half on offense and defense, someone's someone's meddled, in my opinion, someone's meddled in what's going on. Because the second half wasn't creative, it was boring, it was lackluster. And then defense, when you look at defense, this is what pissed me off more than anything. Defense, they went zone, you could see it. They were rushing for, they were, they were, you know, they were going zone, they were playing zone. And that's when Derek Henry started. What did he have? 35 yards in the first half. They were holding him. Like, he did, I think his longest rush was eight yards. That was it. And then all of a sudden, they change the scheme in, in how the defense is run. And he's smashing out. Like, what did he get? Is it two or three touchdowns in the end? 200 yards? What a- I was... <laughs> I, I hear everything you've said there, Luke, and what made me laugh while I say I had my mic on mute was that you said someone was meddling with it. Is there a certain someone you think that was? You're goading me now. <laughs> You're goading me because I said... <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I, had a, I had a conversation with my brother and I thought I'd get this off my chest, but I don't know. It just reminded me too much of last year and that was a... That was a clusterfuck of epic proportions last year, man. And I just think, I think, I just think with everything that Pete says, and I just think Pete's meddling too much, personally. I think, you know, it, my guess would be Pete Carroll's like, he, he wants to defend the league, lead. He's, well, the, Tyler Lockett came out in an interview. I'm pretty sure he said, we, we don't know how to lead. Wait, what fucking comment? What fucking comment is that? We don't know how to lead. And then, and then what was it? Pete Carroll came out and said we couldn't establish the run. Now, I know we didn't get the run game going, but I'm pretty sure in that first half, and anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, but in that first half, I, what, Carson got the touchdown. Um, Collins broke out for 25 yards on one, on one rush. So, and then he yeah. was never seen again. This is the thing. This is the thing. Like, you're saying you didn't establish the run, but I didn't see you do it much. Like, that's... That's what we've, I don't We've got him irate. We've got him more irate, James. This is going to be good. And I did go <laughs> there, to be fair. So that was... That, that's on me. Um, but no, you're right with the running game. Like, what? And I was, again, I, I spoke to you a little bit about this, Pez, is that that 25-yard run from Alex Collins during that absolutely surgical 
58 second drive or whatever it was that they just it was just absolutely everything that we thought that we were getting with Shane Waldron when he came in it was just you you wouldn't see better offensive two minute end of like half drills like in the NFL so to go from that to then the the offensive display that we saw in the second half was just mind-boggling but to back to the point that 25 yard run from Alex Collins it almost seemed to me that was a bit of like a, a tease to the fan base like oh yeah by the way we've got Alex Collins He's done. It's just this. This is what he can do. This is the kind of player that he is. But you know, say you know, enjoy him while he's here because you're not going to see him again for the rest of the game because we're going to put Travis Homer in, who's never offered anything in his in, on offensive snaps for the Seahawks since since they drafted him. Like Travis Homer is a is a very decent, very solid special teams player. But what does he actually offer, and what plays has he actually made in terms of when he's actually on offense with Russell Wilson under center, like? it's not as if Alex Collins is is like a, a dodgy washed up you know like third fourth strings kind of running back like before he tore his ACL I believe it was in, in Baltimore and then the Seahawks pick him up again he, he rushed for over a thousand yards in Baltimore so this is a 1,000 yard back ability wise in the NFL like Travis Homer isn't going to rush for a thousand yards combined in his NFL career let, let's, let's be fair because he's never he's never shown anything that he, that he can do anything on, on offensive snaps. So I, I just didn't understand not producing Alex Collins for more snaps and, and then rolling with, with Travis Homer. Like I, it's a bit like Trey Flower. Like why are we rolling with these players that have consistently showed the coaching staff and the fan base that they don't offer anything and we've got players behind them who, who possibly can? I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's the same thing. It's exactly how I feel about Alton Robinson. Why aren't you having your best players on the field? Why aren't you having your best players on the field? Especially when they're like, for instance, Alton Robinson, Daryl Taylor, I think both of their snaps got cut back and, you know, the excuse is, well, you know, Titans had a hurry up offense and we couldn't get our sub outs. And I'm just like, well, that's a problem too. So if you have to call a timeout and you're ahead of the game, I get the importance of wanting to save your timeouts, but if you legit can't get your players off the field, then what good is it to keep them when they're driving on you because you can't sub out your players? So um, you you all know how I feel about Travis Homer and what I said about, you know, he's aggressive, but it's because he can't find the gap. And so <laughs> he's constantly needing to use his body to try to get through areas that there's no no gap. Um, I really liked Alex Collins all of preseason. I got to watch that last preseason game there at Lumen Field, and Alex Collins looked incredible. So I, I don't quite understand. I thought he would be RB2, honestly, after watching him play. Um, and he doesn't seem like they're not utilizing him like that. Now, Chris Carson had two touchdowns, but those were both on, like, I want to say the one yard line or two yard line, like he powered them in, which is awesome to see. I'm glad we can do that. Um, but our run game really didn't get going. And I I don't know. I don't know what the answer was there. I just know that for the second half, it's like the in-game adjustments are a struggle for us. Like when they, when an offense decides that they're going to change up what they're doing, our defense, it's like you can't make the in game adjustments to 
compensate for what they're trying to do. And we were playing, I felt that they were playing too soft. Like, make their receivers make plays. But when you have Derrick Henry, like, and he's, they're obviously going to him, you need, you need to have a run defense and st- like stop Derrick Henry. Uh, but I, I thought we were playing way too soft um, on their receivers in the second half. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head for me there. It's one thing in the game where I just, in my notes, I put, like, I thought the first half, the, Attitude. It's like the first home game, and they were pumped. The attitude. They were flying around. Um, the pressure took a bit of time to get going on the uh, defense, but when they started getting to him, my God, man! Like, what a comparison! And it is all overreaction. It's only week two, and like, you'd hope that they get things sorted down the stretch, but. The comparisons, man, with the pressures, like every time they got to Tannehill, he just flapped it. He is literally just your typical pocket passer in the NFL, like your Brady's, like your Rodgers. Um, you start hitting them and they fold. Like they simply just fold. And uh, what was I going <laughs> to I lost my train of thought and I saw Chris's join. Um but yeah, it was just mad because then the second half, it was, sorry, like you said, Michaela, it was them adjustments. Them in-game adjustments were there wasn't any. And then you look at the you look at the Colts game, and after that third quarter where it was sluggish offense, they made the in-game adjustments, they made the in-game adjustments on defense because they weren't getting to Carson Wentz as much. And then this game, they just wrapped the tits in. It was it was so bizarre to watch. Like 15 points, you're in at half time. I'm sat on my sofa laughing my tits off thinking, I thought this was going to go a lot worse than it is. And then it all, the wheels came off in the second half. You're baffling. Well, I've got something to add here because I've just been, while, while you're all chatting, I'm just scrolling Twitter and all this sort of stuff. And I've just seen something posted by Brady Henderson. And it says, um, I think someone mentioned it before, Pete Carroll wished um, Russell Wilson had you know, checked down in the three and out in overtime. And when Russell Wilson was asked about that, he said his first down deep throw to Tyler Lockett was, in, this This is it, right, was inches from being a completion. And he doesn't want to change his attacking mindset in that situation. And then going on to the tight ends, why weren't the tight ends used? He said, well, Tyler Lockett was getting open all the time. So why, why would he not take advantage of that? Now, I'm probably going to go off on a tangent here, but this has pissed me off reading it. Like, inches from being completed... <laughs> Inches from being completed is not the same as a fucking completion. So what a dickish answer to start with. And secondly, yes, Tyler Lockett was open, but where was he in the freaking second half? Not, 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 not much compared to the first half. So why don't you go then? Then why don't you go to your tight ends? Anyway, sorry, it was just, I just read it. I had to get it off my chest because it pissed me. I love it. Can I just say this? This game absolutely stunk of Pete Carroll's philosophy that pisses me off more than anything about him. Is that stupid? Can you win the game in the first quarter? No. Can you win the game in the second quarter? Until he gets to the fourth quarter, and then apparently you can win the game in the fourth quarter. That's when you're allowed, apparently, because that's the NFL rule. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. Like we go in at half time, 
what were we like 15 points up absolutely wiping the floor with them let's have it fair Henry was shut down AJ Brown wasn't really a factor in the game it was only Julio Jones bursting uh, burning poor Trey Flowers but where's where's anything new there but in terms of the actual offense it was it, we pretty much nullified it and, and their defense couldn't match up with Lockett and, and, and our weapons on offense and, and Shane Waldron's offense before Pete Carroll got his fingers in that pie again but for me, it just stunk of, of Pete. It, it's almost like when he sees a game that the Seahawks are winning and it's getting too easy, he, he, he says to his team, look, my, you know what my philosophy is, guys. You kind of betray me. Like We're not allowed to win until the fourth quarter. So why, why are we scoring all these points now? Like if, if, if we win games, if we blow teams out by halftime, by the third quarter, that's not aligned with my philosophy. It, it, I know that's I know that sounds far fetched, but it just stunk of that not being able to win the game in the fourth quarter, and, and then it doesn't, and then they don't win. I think that was my point. I think you've 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 helped me <laughs> make the point I wanted to make. It, it that that comment from Ross, like which contradicts Pete, sort of, you know, are we seeing stuff in the locker room? Like, is this a continuation of what happened at the beginning of the off season? You know, has yeah, okay, it's all nicey nicey on the surface and let's put it out in, you know, the media, we're all good, you know, blah, blah, blah. When actually undercurrents are still there, you know, like there's maybe a little bit of undercurrent of resentment is still going. That that was the point I was trying to get it, along. Thanks for helping. If 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 we're on this subject matter, um you can nitpick at offence and defence and you can say, oh, well, the old seat or, well, the fake DC we've got in Ken Norton because everyone knows it's not his defence, it's Pete Carroll's run defence. Um, but it's like, in our football over here, you don't see, like, the first team coach getting the sack you don't see the positional coaches getting sacked. You see the manager getting sacked because essentially whatever goes wrong lands on his head. And I don't, it might be different in America and Michaela might be able to like say different, but it just baffles me because everything falls on his head. You can blame anyone you want, but he's the head coach. So unless it's, unless the sport's set up a little bit differently, it's just how I look at it is, whether we fail on defence, whether we fail on offence, it all lands on his head. And I think it it all boils down to, like you said, the whole, it, are we seeing a thing from the off-season where they're both saying different things and they're, they're still not on the same page because uh, I've, I've said it for a while now that, that Luke was on the ship a lot earlier than me, that Pete Carroll's way of doing things is very dated. Like, is very dated in this modern era, in my opinion. This modern NFL, his style of doing things doesn't work anymore. And you look at the last since the last Super Bowl to now, it kind of the proof's in the pudding. But because he got Seattle that Super Bowl and he got them back the year after, it's almost like he's untouchable that people either don't see it or don't want to don't want to admit what they see. I don't know, Michaela, whether you can 
you say different? I don't know. My only thing that, you know, I would argue is that they've been a playoff contenders for nine of the last 10 seasons. How much of that is on Russell Wilson's shoulders for being a Hall of Fame quarterback? How much of that is offensive play calling of, you know, and in, in defense? Like, how much of that is Pete Carroll responsible for, right? Because, I mean, we're not watching a team that hasn't been going to the playoffs. Have they been able to execute in the playoffs as much as, like, since the Super Bowl era? No, but they're still making it there. So I'm curious how much Pete Carroll is responsible for getting that far with his decisions. And, I mean, at the end of the day, he's also hiring the personnel, the coaches, right? So his team of coaches that he has for player position coaches and all of that, his coordinators, like, he's he's – deciding who those people are which also determines how far we could potentially get and these the talk about the culture that the Seahawks have in the locker room people really like the culture in Seattle it seems like I'm listening to the players talk about that culture now it does feel like the last two years so last year and of course with the summer and everything that's been discussed in the media about Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll's relationship it does feel like if this is not a successful season, that that relationship could very well end badly. And unfortunately, in terms of ownership, um, obviously, you know, Paul Allen passed away. His sister Jody is currently the owner for the Seahawks. I don't know whose side, right? Like, do you try to figure out a new head coach situation? when you're, you've been going to the playoffs for the last nine to 10 years, do you decide that your franchise quarterback is going to get traded? Like who, like which, which way is that going to go? And I would personally want to keep our franchise quarterback. I would love to see a young offensive minded coach in that role. Um, or, you know, an offensive coordinator guru. So there's a there's a lot of different ways that that could go and Russell Wilson's a winner I think at the end of the day that a huge reason we've gone to playoffs is because he's been clutch and in, in, in moments where we've needed him to pull through and how often can we like really put that on his shoulders he's been carrying that weight for a long time whether it's having an awful offensive line or a defense that he's like Russell like the offense scored 30 points on Sunday. And yet we're sitting here talking about what happened in the second half with the offense. Like they still scored 30 points. It's not like they scored seven points or 14 points. 30 points is a lot to put up. Your defense has to show up. Right. Like, I don't know. That's my little rant for you. Yeah. Um, do you not think though, you see more and more now, um, like it's a lot more offensive minded, the uh, NFL like, do you not think that people are a bit up in arms with dirty points? Because you're seeing teams putting 40, 50 points up with these flashy offences. And it, I saw someone on Twitter, uh, he kind of had it right. He said, this is the difference between Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll because like people try and ban them in the same category of coach. 
and he said, in the position we were in at halftime, Bill Belichick would have been like, we're going to stand on their throat and we're going to kill them. Whereas Pete Carroll's like, oh, no, no, no. we like, like It's some gentleman's agreement that he can't go and blow a team out. He can't embarrass someone. It's bizarre in what he says. And what you were saying then, Michael, it brings back to when I said about what his comment on Russ. And then someone commented, tried relating it to Brady last year because Arians aired him out last year for being poor, saying well, Tom needs to step up and help the team out. And they were like, so, like, don't don't get over-carried away with what he's trying to say. Like, Brady got called out last year. But then the issue is what he isn't bringing into context is halfway through last season, Brady pretty much just got given the offence. It's essentially turned out into a, you do what you need to do, and look what happened. Pete Carroll isn't going to do that with us. Pete Carroll isn't going to go and just basically go, well, you know best, go and do the offense. So it's all well and good going, oh, yeah, well, Brady got called out last year and look what happened with that team. It can bring them together and stuff. But, yeah, it it won't happen with his team. You know, when Lamar Jackson is given the choice of whether or not he wants to go for it and he has not been in the league for 10 years and he, like – and then here's Russell Wilson, who is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and you're not giving him that say. I have a problem with that. And it's the same thing with Tom Brady. Like, Tom Brady leads that team. He he makes the decisions. He Like, that team, the Tampa Bay, like, as much as I really, like, he's just good. Like, he's good. And there's a reason that they, like, I don't know why Pete Carroll has a struggle with giving up control and allowing his quarterback to do what he needs to do to make plays. Also Pete Carroll, he likes to run the clock down. He likes to, he, it's like I, he would rather not drive it down the field and get more points. Cause he thinks that winning the game is going to be based off of running the clock and taking your time. If you get more points, you don't have to worry about running the clock. Like, hey. Exactly. Exactly. It is baffling. It's like you said, it is it's it's so bizarre that Russ doesn't have a say in like you said, the fourth down, like you saw it, it's all over my social media with um Harbaugh shouting to him, Do you want to go for it? Do you want to go for it? Like giving him the option, like the trust he's got and it's like you said, Pete Carroll almost micromanaging the whole franchise now. And I said it when you were last on the podcast. Uh, I'll say it again with, I just think now he's clutching at straws to maintain what he's got. Like, yeah, nine out of 10 seasons making the playoffs is, is great. It's a great achievement. And it's true what they say, like, you can't take it for granted for making it to the playoffs over and over again. But when you've got a quarterback of the caliber of Russell Wilson, we're not looking at Pete Carroll going, oh, Pete's got us there. It's like when we got to the Super Bowl, the two years in a row, we're not looking at going, oh, Pete's a mastermind. We're looking at the Legion of Boom. And did he get lucky? Because since we lost them, we've not replaced them. Did he just get lucky with that secondary? 
did he did it just land on his lap? Like that's what I'm questioning now because ever since they've gone, he's not been able to fix it. So you do have to question, like you said before, Michaela, you do have to question whether how much he has to do with all this success in Seattle or because he's the head coach, as he just took all the credit. But then when when the negatives come, everyone else takes the blame except for him. It baffles me. It's bizarre. I want to. Um, I'm going to piggyback on what Michaela said because I mean, Pietro, you and you and I have chatted to no end about Pete. Um, like I think for the past, I don't know, three or four years, I've said like Pete's starting to become a problem. I think it, like Michaela's right. You know, we we've been getting we've been a successful winning team, and I think in any league, it doesn't matter what sport it is. You know, especially you know football or soccer. Um, you know, to to win a league is not easy, uh, and it's the same for the Super Bowl. It's it's not easy to win it, get there again, and win it again. Like, so you know, it is it you know judged by if you win, if you make the playoffs. Like my mate's a Carolina Panthers fan, and he. He said this. He sort of said the same as you, Michaela. You know, like we we have a winning team. He's had to endure losing seasons and games which have been close, and you know, and he he looks on at envy at the Seahawks and he's like, well, you're winning, and but at the same time, he's right. We've we've got a Hall of Fame quarterback who should be doing more than just one Super Bowl or back to back Super Bowl appearances, winning one of them, and um, I, I feel like this season's going to be a, a turning point to be honest, in especially as Russ is coming to the end of his contract, we're, we're getting to a turning point as to which way this team is going. Um, I mean, sorry, Michaela, you might not. This is going to be a, an English like football reference, but um, oh, years ago, Arsenal were um, a dominant force in the league. I mean, they, they went the whole season unbeaten. They're Arsene Wenger, long-term manager. But then... They won, I think, the league, the FA Cup, and then they didn't win anything for ages. They played lovely football, you know, and won games, but they didn't win silverware. And I feel like if I'm making, um, you know, similarities, I see similarities in that Arsenal football club. You know, you've got a long-term manager who just has become stagnant. And, and I feel like, you know, OK, Pete has created a great, culture and brought in coaches and we have been successful I just feel and I, I worry sorry that that this team is getting stagnant and um yeah that I, and after this performance in week two I, I'm actually worried I'm worried about I wasn't worried about the Vikings when I saw the schedule I thought the Vikings okay they're, they're neither here nor their team but it should be a game we win well after the Titans lost I'm looking at the Vikings now especially at the the, the scoreline they put up in week two, and I'm thinking, damn, this is this actually is going to be a lot harder than. Yeah, um, I, I've, I've, been, I've just been kicking back with my feet up. If I was cool, I'd be saying I'd be having a, a few Cuban cigars or not, but I haven't. I've just got a glass of water. But I've completely agreed with everything that all of you have said there. Uh, really, on in terms of like fan expectations and that. Um, it's 
and you make like say Luke, you're making a reference to to our version of football, and it, and it is a good reference to make because in our football, if your team is consistently winning, then you you're going to be consistent. The, the actual club and everything is going to be consistently making money. So then they're spending more money to get better players in, and you can you can maintain that success for a long time. That's why the top clubs in England and other you know countries around Europe are, are consistently at the top. You know give or take, obviously you have the one or two seasons that are a bit different, but in the NFL, there's you've got the salary cap, so every team, no matter how rich the owner is, can only invest, you're on a level playing field in terms of the salary cap, it's just how you choose to spend that money, so unless you draft well, and unless you sign you know, shrewd free agents and, and smart free agent signings, then if you've got success, if you know that your team is good enough to win things, then the fans have that expectation of, and they get a bit selfish because we know that we we should be winning. Like We want to win now before we turn into a Carolina or we turn into the Seahawks like we once were again and we don't really, we can't really do anything about it. It's like, it's not like, oh yeah, if if we, if we if this was the Seahawks and this was the same, you know, model that English football has where, you know, we're just winning and winning and winning, we'd be able to go out and spend a load of money in, in, in the, the transfer market and in, in, in the free agency and just sign all the top free agents because they want to come and play for Seattle. But it, it it's not like that. It's like, it, we, we know you've only got, you know, you hear analysts and people talk about it all the time. It's that Super Bowl window. It's, it's when, it's not like, you know, for, for Liverpool, for Man United, for Chelsea and Man City, their Premier League title window will probably be forever, really, unless they go into administration because, the, the owners of that team and the players that they've got mean that they can sustain they can sustain that success for however long they want to. It, it's really up to them. Whereas with the Seahawks, it's and with every other NFL team, it's like well, you know, once you've got a good team for you know whether it's one year, two year, or in terms of the Seahawks, you know we've had a good winning franchise for the past decade or so now. It's like you, you've got to take advantage of it because you know the Super Bowl window isn't isn't you know endless unlike it is for for you know our version of football so i just think that fans like say although we appear selfish at times and although we appear sort of you know greedy and we want success it's because we know that you know whilst we've got this hall of fame quarterback that you know and, and arguably the most talented team that we've had since we won our super bowl it, we, we we want this we want to be able to say we've had success now with this team and not look back in five ten years and potentially being another bottom of the league type franchise and thinking of all oh, what we could have done with this team and then people would probably turn around and start feeling sorry for us a little bit like it, that that's my take on the whole fan expectations anyway but um yeah no that I think the the Vikings game is going to be a lot tougher than we we're, we're giving it credit for as well Luke you're right I think. They've got a few decent players. Obviously, Adam Thielen's playing really well. Um, I mean, Kirk Cousins never really plays well against the Seahawks. I know he's not in prime time, which you know would just be a banker for a Seahawks win. Um, but yeah, obviously, Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson. Um, the, the, the defense isn't great, in my opinion. Again, it's a bit like it's a bit like the Titans and the Colts. Really, we would we, face three teams in, in through three weeks, or you know, we will have faced three teams through three weeks that have all got, you know, pretty good offences, but the defence is, is the is the Achilles heel of the team. Um, but no, it's if it's anything like the first two weeks and if it's anything like Seahawks football in, in general, it, it is going to be another close game. Um, 
like I say, I, I would hope that we could win. I would expect us to win, even though it is going to be a tough game. I would hope that there are certain individuals that are within the Seahawks organization and team and locker room that are, you know, a bit peed off and that want to win. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it it is it's going to be tough. Um, but if 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 this team's serious about a Super Bowl run again, then a Minnesota Vikings team is a team that this team are going to have to overcome at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I think the bounce back will happen because the one thing you can rely on with a Pete Carroll run team as we've been used to over the years, they're good at the bounce back. Now, I, I'll say a bold take here that if he starts Trey Flowers again, and I know it might be an overreaction in week three, but if he starts Trey Flowers blindly again after everyone who analyzes football basically has called him out for being shit. Like, they highlighted two massive gash plays and they were both on him. Right? So, if he still starts him and does a typical Pete Carroll blind, I know what's best, blind move, I'm going to call it right now that, that if the organization doesn't side with Russ. Russ is gone at the end of the year. Hands down, he's done, gone. And then also, I probably, I'll say it now that we probably won't make the playoffs either because um, because if he's, if he's blindly willing to keep Trey Flowers in, because, right, look at it like this. I had a thought about this the other day. Look at it like this. Remember the Pete Carroll who first came in? He wasn't scared to fucking put anyone anywhere. He wasn't scared to undrafted, undrafted free agents, rookies, anything. He wasn't scared to put anyone anywhere. But over these last couple of years, it's almost like he goes through his safety blanket, guys, and it doesn't matter about anyone else. And again, that highlights to me how he is essentially just clinging on. He's just clutching at straws, keeping, like, you know, trying to trying to just keep him, his job and keep this playoff run going. Because Pete Carroll football doesn't work in the playoffs. When you start going against the big guns who offensive like who are just offensive weapons as a team, his his style of football doesn't work anymore. It's outdated and he's just clutching at straws until someone wakes up with enough power in the organization to essentially get rid of him. Rob Statton said it right in the preseason. He said, I don't get excited for this team anymore. This season I'm just gonna watch it because I'm a Seahawks fan, but I'm not even going to get excited because I know what's That's, coming. That- that's the same as me. I, I think I was excited at pre-season. I thought, you know what? We're putting a really good team together. Um, and I thought, which is unusual for me. I am normally quite negative. But I'm only negative because I love this team. You know, I've been watching this team since 2005. That's when I first started watching the NFL. I've been through all that. I've seen the start of Pete Carroll to where we are now. And... I'm negative because I, I just want this team to do well and I know they can do well. And personally, I, I personally, 
and I'm putting it out there now, I, I honestly feel Pete's gone. I, 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 this season, I, I just, like, the NFC West is strong. These first two two weeks from, you know, the Cardinals, Rams and 49ers, although week two has been close for those three teams, they still won. And that's the difference. It doesn't matter if it's close. It was close for us. We could have been 2-2, two 2-0. and two, two and oh, But we weren't. We were unlucky. That's just the way it falls. But we're already one game down in, in our, our division. division. And, and that's only two weeks in. And for me, that's alarming. That, so, that's really alarming. I'll put it to you both. This. So, was it the Rams last year? Or there was a couple of, in the last couple of seasons, there was a team from the West who started off really bad, but then managed to scrape it into the playoffs and make a run. Could you say that if the Seahawks start getting behind? Because, like I said to James, look at the gauntlet we've got after this Vikings game. We don't win this Vikings game. You've got the 49ers, the Rams, the Saints, and. and not worried about the Saints. Just saying that now, I'm not. After Winston's performance, if he carries on like that, it doesn't even matter if you put Taysom Hill in. I'm not worried about the Saints. Like, I and don't the, get... And the Steelers. I mean, the, the Steelers again, like... I'm being great, have they? The, the Steelers are one of those teams that they can start well because Ben's fresh, but he's old. But they've not been and starting well, good this Well, this year they haven't started well. No, I agree, they haven't. And, and I don't, like, I don't see much from them that that, that like, when the schedule came out and I looked at it, I thought I looked at the Steelers and I thought well you know they're, they're always that bogey team but I'm not like I, I was I thought I thought to myself with this team we've got barring the issue around cornerbacks I thought I, we could take that Steelers game easy like de, de, as long as we like as long as we had a game plan for it I mean at the end of the day the Steelers are one on one what is it? They lost. They lost week two. So you know they they, they are beatable. It's the Saints. The, the Saints aren't going to be the same team. Um, now Breeze is gone. So yeah, I get our schedules hard, but actually, I, I don't think it's that hard as long as the team comes out to play and and getting beat by the Titans. I, I feel puts a lot of pressure. And and to be fair, probably puts a lot of friction in the locker room already. And we're only two weeks in. I mean, that that, that what I was saying earlier about um Russ's press presser, like to me that shows that already shows a divide. And I said to you, P, I said to you last year, what after the first five games of the season, when they lost to the Cardinals and they and they and they just went south. I pers- personally, I think that was a protest. I think that was a mini protest to say, either by Russ or by other players. And they were just basically saying, we're just not happy with where this is going. So, yeah, it all looks lovely jubbly on the surface. But underneath, I feel like there's ripples of resentment. Yeah. Um, I, put a, I put a positive spin on the, the rant that has been uh, an That's hour and 15 good. minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, because I'm going to put a positive spin on it in the sense that if 
it's a hard goal because it's not going to work. Right, right. It's not going to work. But... Now. You promised everyone. No, no, pass. but... Right, right, right. Right, right. Positive pass. So, what we saw in the Colts game and then that two-minute drive. So, that two-minute drive, the, the, the 58 seconds, who remembers a couple of seasons going... It was against the Panthers where there was like... 30 seconds left on the clock, but all the mics went out. So Russ essentially called his called his own he called his own uh, plays and then scored a touchdown in like 30 seconds, bombed it down the field. That's what it felt like that drive in the second quarter was like. And it's like then you then you take in the in the the Colts game where the Titans were being used and you could clearly tell it was Waldron. If that is just allowed to materialise and Pete just worries about the defence, if someone gets in his ear, like someone higher up in the organisation just basically says, listen, just just leave it alone. But, but that, that, it, that's a, the thing for me. Like, although we're saying Jordy Allen owns the Seahawks, she doesn't really, I mean, she, she does by sort of like de facto own the team, but who does Pete Carroll have to answer to, really? I mean, I mean, there's, is Pete Carroll's, he said it like when he signed that contract, he, he's not just the head coach, he's like the head of like player something, like player, like operating something. So he's like, he, he, he is, the, like, he doesn't really have anyone to answer. I know you've got Chuck Arnold, who's like the, the president of the, of the Seahawks, but. It just feels like there's no definite. It's not like a, a Robert Kraft at the Patriots, where if the Patriots head coach isn't doing well, then he's got Rob Kraft to answer to. It's like who, who on earth has Pete Carroll got to answer to for when things aren't going well? He just he he he, he is the Seahawks franchise in a, in a way. Yeah, you are true there. Yeah, that that contract is a bit scary, but and it is, and it's it, like. It, it's and going back to what Lucas said about obviously the you know the it, it just feels like when you look at the NFC West, Cliff Kingsbury, Carl Shanahan, Sean McVay, what what all three what three things or what or what you know what things do them all three of them have in common? I should say is it's that they're young, they're well they're still re- I mean Sean McVay is still relatively young I suppose for head coach, but they're, they're young, they're offensive minded, they're clever. And they're, and they're innovative, and, and, and that's the way the NFL's going. And when I look at it's like, what, what do you see our three main rivals doing? They're, 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 you know, they're coming into the new era that they're, they're modernising the game, they're modernising their franchises. And what the Seahawks doing? It, it, sticking with a bit prehistoric, you know, it, it, it's when everyone else is modernising and, and, and evolving, it kind of feels like the Seahawks are stuck in their ways of not wanting to not wanting to evolve and not wanting to move on and, and we just can't move on from the Pete Carroll it, it's just like someone well we know he wasn't doesn't want it to end and that's Pete Carroll but it just feels like the Seahawks are so reluctant to end this chapter and they just want to draw it out and draw it out and draw it out like say that five year contract who he's 70 something like it, it, why on earth are we giving him a five year contract it, it's just and uh, it, it it just worries me that the rest of the league is modernising and evolving, and the Seahawks. The, the, the scary thing, the scary thing is, 
um, what does, where I was trying to be positive, where I'm just going to like absolutely smash that into a smithereens is when Pete Carroll was asked after the Colts game about Shane Waldron's influence on the win, he's open-minded to do things that we've done in the past. That says it all there. He's just got a yes man. He's got another. He's just got another fall guy to cover for him yet again. Absolutely no point in hiring him then. That 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 that's the problem. I said like I say I've, I've talked to you about it off air. It's like if Pete Carroll is just going to consistently undermine the coaching staff that his organisation and ultimately really he employs. He you know him and Russ gave the gave the sign off for, for Shane Waldron. It's not like you say, it's not like a Rob Kraft making these decisions. It's Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll runs the Seahawks. Um, so it, it's, if, if he's going to hire coaching staff that he knows that he can undermine and, you know, he's got that on Shane Waldron. He, he, he had that really on Schottenheimer. Schottenheimer's never really been a, a successful, I mean, obviously a successful coach in his own right, but in terms of NFL standards, never really a, a coach who's tasted much success as an offensive coordinator, and then Shane Waldron has only ever been the passing coordinator for the Rams. He's never been an, an offensive coordinator before, so it just kind of feels like he's hiring guys, and even Ken Norton, he's just hiring guys that he knows that he can undermine and blame and sort of, you know, manipulate in a way because he knows that they don't really have a have a leg to stand with. It's like, oh, respect, you know, you should just respect Pete Carroll. It's like they can't really say anything to him whereas if they were to if they were to have hired a, an offensive coordinator like a Doug Peterson from the Eagles when he was linked to the team he wouldn't have stood for anything like that you wouldn't have been able to get away with undermining him and getting involved in his offensive coordinator playbook you know when, when he's trying to manage games whereas with someone like Shane Waldron it's like you know he it feels he feels like he can do that and manipulate that because he's still so inexperienced it's like it just worries me that if we're going to continuously undermine coaching staff then what what is the point of hiring what is the point of hiring an offensive coordinator if you're just going to consistently undermine it yeah I, I couldn't agree more mate like like I think we all agree with that we all agree with uh, these things and we get a lot of pushback off it there would be a lot of people who'd like argue against it but at the end of the day it's like we say He's the head coach, so he's 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 in charge of everything. Like, if the offense is bad, the defense is bad. But he all he all should fall on his head. But for whatever reason, he's just he's just untouchable. Like we said, and obviously, it's all a get it off your chest. It's it's all an overreaction to what we saw. But it is scary the collapse of. That second half, it's a scary collapse. At Fifteen points, the way we were playing, the the what you expect from this team to to lose a fifteen point lead is shocking, in my opinion. If things don't change, like honestly, if things don't change, it's just going to snowball. And and I think it, the turning point was letting. Derek Henry go out for what sixty yard the sixty yard touchdown where he got caught up or came the other way, and like it, that's demoralizing on anyone. Not only is he just pounding the crap out of everything, but 
he then goes off and burns you for that. Like, so the defense is stuck on the field. They can't stop him. They've then let the touchdown in. And it's just, it, it gets on you. And, and what pisses me off more than anything is when you turn to the sideline and you see Pete just standing there, like scratching his head, like, oh, how's that happened? Like, <laughs> the, the, well, it's happened because you, you, you let it happen. Like, I, I, I think, I mean, are we going to be talking like this? If we absolutely destroy the Vikings, this is the thing. If we destroy the Vikings, if they destroy the Vikings this week, everything that's happened now for the past hour and a half doesn't matter. Well, well it does because I think they're the valid thing since sliced bread. If we beat them, well, th- this is it, isn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, isn't it? Like, if 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 the Seahawks win convincingly this weekend, it was a blip. Do you know what I mean? If we see a performance like the Colts. Because the Colts, let's be honest, the Colts aren't a walkover. Look at Wentz was hanging around in, 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 week, in that week two matchup. He was hanging around and he was doing fairly well. So I would argue that that Colts win wasn't, wasn't an easy win. It looked good. It looked great. But it still wasn't an easy win. So if we see that performance against the Vikings... Then, you know, and, and going forward, we have more performances. If we have more performances like that against the Colts, basically, and we lose, I would be disappointed, but happy because it, it's showing we have guts. It's showing like they're willing to go down fighting, not just be soft. And that's the crux of it. It's, it's fucking soft, soft football while everyone else what he gets for playing Travis Homer that's what I mean I I don't no adjustments no modernising of the game poor game management and and just rolling with players like Travis Homer and Trey Flowers and you know not not giving snaps to guys like Alton Robinson and even like say even Daryl Taylor had reduced snaps in in week two which I wouldn't I I just don't understand um, after his monster you know, NFL debut in week one, why would you why would you want to reduce his snaps? If anything, you would increase them. So I just, yeah, it, it's, it, it, like I say, it's really, it really feels like a bit of a crossroads season for the, for the Seahawks for me. It, it's either going to go brilliantly well and we'll all be sitting here in January, February time, you know, possibly NFC Championship, Super Bowl, you know, getting ready for those type of games, or it's going to be, uh, well, like say, as Pez says, we could even miss the playoffs. If, and, and I agree with him if he continues to play Trey Flowers at cornerback, which, to be fair, due to recent comments since the Titans game, it does look like that Pete Carroll is ready to stop smoking whatever he's smoking and put the pipe down on that whole experiment because it does seem like he is preparing to move on from him now um so, you know, only after four years though so you can he's you can tell he's not stubborn or anything um but yeah it, it's it's gonna it's gonna go one or two ways the schedule is is tough it's never easy there's no particularly easy games not with the Seahawks anyway um but yeah it, it's just I, I do have my concerns already um and it's yeah, it's it's all we'll we'll all look back in the benefit of hindsight, but at this moment in time, it's hard 
to feel it, it, it's hard to get carried away with the team that you support and that's I, I, I don't feel like that's right I think we should all be able to get carried away and lose ourselves in the front of the NFL and, and the front of supporting your team saying you're just gonna you know you're gonna you're gonna win everything and 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 all that, but it just feels like everyone's being a bit more. We're just all doomed to the realization that this is the Seahawks under Pete Carroll, and and this we all know how it's going to go. We've all seen this script too many times now, and it's hard to get to to believe that it'll change after after all these years. You know why why would Pete Carroll change his ways at at seventy seventy one when he when he hasn't you know any other point is in his NFL career so that that that's my that's my two pence on it anyway Michael Michael Sean Dugar I think in the last podcast said it perfectly you know you it's almost like making a deal with the devil which is a weird horrible comparison but you know you you make that deal with the devil like so you know you want to win what do you get Pete Carroll what what do you get in return stress and heartache you know and then the, they made the Thanos reference or you know the the Avengers reference what did it cost you everything like and that and it is true that's what it feels like you know we've had the good years we've had the back-to-back Super Bowls we've won the they've won the Super Bowl brilliant that and that was a great time to be a Seahawks fan but you know it, it has caught like the amount of times you read on Twitter or comments on Instagram like how f- fans have, you know, the, the tone has changed, essentially. The, the tone's changing. The tone's changing now. I was reading a few comments on um, a few posts on Twitter um, on the recent presser. You know, people are now coming out saying, do you know what? We don't want Russ anymore. If, if this is going to be his attitude, he's harming the team. And it's like, no, he's got a winning mentality and he wants to go out and win and not play soft football. I think that's what they need. Like, Oh, if, if anyone is going to come out and say that Russell Wilson is the problem with the Seahawks franchise and his attitude is the problem, then I, I, I don't know what to say to you. Um, if, if that's what you say. It's like Michaela said. It. Yeah, exactly. It's like Michaela said. You know, we would rather have a Hall of Fame quarterback who's still in his prime, who, who still can play good football, than a coach that's turning 70 years old. Seventy years old, seven zero. Let it sink in. It's sunk in that I should have just supported the bloody Buccaneers at this point. It 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 would have been so much easier. (laughs) Wouldn't needed to have it. Get it off your chest, bloody podcast, would we? No. Um, But I'll tell you what. It's the Browns. The Browns are the new the new Seahawks. They're the ones that you know you losing seasons, losing seasons, and and I'm looking all right to be fair. Browns are a very decent team nowadays, which feels weird to say, but I guess that's why that's why we all love the NFL, isn't it? You can all you can be one of the worst teams, and you can then within a year or two you can be one of the best teams, and that's what goes back to my point about us, you know, the Seahawks fan base being a bit selfish and wanting us to win. Now it's because because we know fine well we, we you know the Seahawks team franchise was the Cleveland Browns. We you know we, we were absolute nothingness, you know, a, a franchise that the league didn't really care about. The fan, obviously, of course, the fans did, um, but you know, it, it's only in this recent era that we've tasted any form of success, really. And you know, um, so it, it, it that, that's why we're all wanting to win now, and and why Russell Wilson wants to win now is because we we know 
he knows that we can. He looks around his locker room and sees guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and all these star-studded names. And he knows that we can win now. And it just feels like if Pete Carroll is the one and his philosophy is the one that stops it, it, it's going to be really, really hard to take. Um, But has anyone else got any uh, any things they want to get off their chest before we uh, before we wrap it up? Uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I think we've uh, banged the world to rights on this one, haven't we? We have, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we've ashed everything out, and we'll uh, see what happens this week. We'll, we'll be yes. here next week, and we're either going to be ranting even harder, or we're just going to be a bit more happy and positive. We'll be getting oh. a lot of positive plays off our chest. Yeah, I would like to think so, but I think we could. We'll, we'll find a rant in anything, um, knowing uh, knowing us lot. But uh, no, that uh, I think that wraps up the uh, the very first get it off your chest episode for now. Um, yeah, thanks for everyone for joining. Obviously, Michaela had to uh, had to leave about three quarters of the way through the uh, through the episode. Um, but a massive thank you to you, Michaela, for joining us tonight. Obviously, more than welcome to to join us whenever you're free. Um, and obviously, as, as we do this more moving forward, obviously we'll try and make this a weekly thing. Um, so for the rest of you guys, for, for for everyone listening and everything, if you're wanting to get involved, if you want to get on the get it off your chest episode of of the We Talk Seahawks podcast, um, just keep an eye out on our social medias across Instagram and Twitter. Just search the We We Talk Seahawks podcast or Seahawks UK. It'll be on either. Um, and yeah, you just need the Spotify Green Room app, uh, which you can download via the Google Play Store or by the App Store on iOS. Um, a little, few, a little, little bit of teething problems to start with, but it's uh, it's a brand new app. It's still in development, I think. So um, blame Spotify, don't blame us. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been a really fun one. Hope to see some more people as we go forward with this. Um, but again, big thanks to Michaela. Big thanks to you, Luca, mate. Thanks for coming on with us tonight. No worries. Thanks for having me. Anytime, mate. Anytime. And as always, thanks to you, Mr. Barron. Well done, Pez. Not uh, not too many not too many F bombs tonight. That's why I'm saying well done. I thought we would uh, thought we'd be getting more than that. So you've done well there. Yeah, we did good, didn't we? We did good. Yeah, we did do good. Yeah, I think there was one or two looking back, <laughs> but for your standards, uh, you've done well Whoa. there. So. So thanks, you did, mate. <laughs> thanks very much for joining us, as always. No worries, mate. No worries. No always worries. my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, let's uh, let's look forward to hopefully getting back on the uh, on the winning streak again this weekend against the Vikings. So yeah, go Hawks, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again very soon. <laughs>